about uh, about the beginning of, of November, uh, I, I've been praying, just asking God to give us direction for 2015. And um, I've always tried to tie uh, our messages and uh, kind of direction around a theme. And I've, I've just prayed, hey, God, can you, can you give me something? Point me in the right direction, what theme we want to have, how we want it to go. And so as I've kind of been looking at it, um, I'm not sure how long you've been with us, but a couple of years ago we did All In, and that's back when we were at Cleveland High School, and we talked about love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and really focused on that word all and what it meant to be all in. We really t- took 2013 and really tied into that. Uh, last year, this year, I guess, really, uh, 2014, we, we really focused on the slogan that's, that's a part of our logo. You'll see it on there where it's come as you are, be changed, go change the world, and really tried to tie that into everything. Now, sometimes it's very pronounced. Sometimes it's kind of hidden. I said, God, what can you give us for, for 2015? I got nothing. Got nothing whatsoever. I'm just like, come on. I need something, 2015's coming, and every Sunday, uh, I still got a whole lot of nothing, still got a whole lot of nothing, and just kind of walked through it slow, went with, and just kind of felt, oh, you know, what, what is there? What is it that, that we could potentially do? How could we, we make this? Got nothing. So I went to Jerome, and I said, Jerome, maybe God's speaking to you, and you could tell me what he's saying, because he hasn't said anything to me yet, and he's like, nope, sorry, I, I got nothing. I'm like, okay, this isn't helping me at all. So I went to Christy. Christy's much more spiritual than I am. And I said, hey, has God said anything to you? She's like, uh-uh, I got nothing. I got, I don't know. And I'm like, wow. So I went to Google. And, uh, and I, thought, <laughs> I thought maybe I could plagiarize somebody else's idea. And guess what? Nothing. There's nothing there. And I'm like, man, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And I'm, I'm going through it, and I'm praying through it, and I'm trying to get some direction out of it all. And uh, in the process over the, the course of about Thanksgiving to now, I'm not sure if you're part of our email list or not, but I've been sending out a weekly email on Tuesdays of things to pray for as we pray ourselves into 2015. I'm like, well, maybe something will come of that. And I've been praying and thinking and saying, hey, I'm challenging the church to pray. And in all of it, something came to me. And the question was, is why do we pray? Why, why do we pray? Um, I'm not sure, like, like I said, how long you've been with us, but we've been going chronologically through the Gospels. And right after Thanksgiving, uh, we hit Luke 11. And if you know uh, Luke 11, it's, it's a, the beginning of it is Jesus teaching on prayer. And I said, you know what? We're going to skip that part um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, because we went over it when we went through the Sermon on the Mount back in September. And we really tied into Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew 6. So I figured, why do we need to go over it again in, in Matthew, or, uh, sorry, Luke 11? And the other reason why is it didn't really fit into the, the whole advent of everything. And so I said, you know, we'll just, we'll just kind of take it as it goes. And I planned on not doing it at all. I planned on just kind of leaving it there. But as I started thinking about why do we pray, I said, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have skipped that. Maybe that's what we should use to kind of launch into 2015. A lot of people will, will take their New Year's message and wait till, till next week when New Year's has actually happened. But I'm thinking, why, why should we waste this Sunday? A lot of times, uh, churches, they, they'll combine services. I even looked last night, and we, we didn't have very many people here last night. I said, oh, maybe we should have combined. And now I'm glad we didn't as I look around out here and see all of you. And, and um, you know, maybe we should just take some time to, to pray. But even in that, I ask myself, why why do we pray? What is it that we pray for? And it kept coming back to me. Is prayer important? Would you consider 
prayer important in your life? You know, I, I would think that the majority of Christ followers, the majority of Christians would say they see an importance in prayer. Uh, we ask people to pray for us, and we pray for other people. And in the process of that, um, we think to ourselves, you know, we need to pray. But would you say that the church here and the church globally is a praying church? Because when we had our family meeting a couple, of, uh, a couple of months ago, and we had our leadership meeting a couple of months ago, one of the things that came up is, is we're not really a praying church. We're not a church that, that focuses. Now, we pray during the service. We'll pray after songs. We'll pray even during the message and to end the message. But are we a praying church? And unfortunately, I'd have to say the answer to that is no. I'd have to say that the answer of, of the corporate church of America, the, the, the entire body, the global, I shouldn't say global because I don't know what goes on in, in countries where actual persecution is taking place. I'm sure there's plenty of prayer taking place in that. But here in America, it seems like the contemporary corporate church, it's not fully reliant on prayer. We're, we're really fully reliant on our, ourselves. And as I looked at this passage and I read through Luke chapter 11 again and I read it all out, I said, you know, four things really stand out to me in, in this prayer that Jesus teaches. Now, it's not nearly as detailed as the one that's in Matthew chapter 6. And maybe you've heard the one in Matthew chapter 6. It's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it's been recited many, many times. And it's how people pray and they feel that that's what they have to say in a certain way. And, and you know, it's been kind of taken the wrong area. But now Luke takes a little bit different turn on it. But as I read it, I saw four different things. And the first thing I saw was desperation. Desperation. The second thing I saw was desire. The third thing was boldness. And the fourth thing was confidence. And Jesus is, is being asked by the disciples to teach them to pray. Teach them to pray. And I thought to myself, why would they ask Jesus to teach them to pray? They were good Jewish boys. They knew how to pray. They'd grown up in the synagogues. They'd grown up around all of that. They understood the religious way to pray. Why would they stop and say, Jesus, teach us to pray? They were desperate. And that's the thing I want to focus on today is that desperation. Because, you know, I think almost everybody prays when they're desperate. I think almost everybody, no matter religious beliefs or non-religious beliefs, will pray at some point in time when they are desperate, when it's their final straw, when it's the very last thing, they have no other place to turn to. I've known atheists, I've known agnostics that have come to me and said, I don't believe in your God, but if you could throw up a prayer for me in case he is real, I'm in, in some dire straits. And I know that sounds crazy, but when we're at that place, we throw up a prayer. As a matter of fact, probably one of the most famous plays in sports is rooted in prayer. You have fourth down and 10. Balls at the 50-yard line. You got a quarterback with a pretty good arm. Six seconds left in the game, and guess what? You're down by six. What are you going to do? You're going to throw up a Hail Mary. You're going to throw up a prayer. And you know what? We're going to throw up that prayer, and hopefully, maybe... God will answer it. It's a point of desperation. Our game plan has got us to this point, and guess what? Now the game plan goes out the window. All of our own thoughts go out the window, and we're just going to chuck it up there, and hopefully somebody comes down with it. Isn't that the, the reality of it all? We just throw up a prayer? Well, guess what? Sometimes I think in our Christian lives, we live that way as well. 
We live as if, hey, we're good, we're good, we're good. We hit this point where none of our game plan is going to work anymore. All we have left to do is throw up a last ditch, desperation prayer. God, if you're there, please answer it. But is that the way the Christian life was intended to be lived out? Is that the way the church was intended to be? Was it about just throwing up a last-ditch effort and pray that God answers it? Or was it that we're supposed to do everything in our life with that same desperation? Understanding that God is in control. Understanding that God is who he says he is. Understanding that God has this. And we are fully reliant and desperate upon him, not just in the last seconds of the game, but in an entire game plan. Is that the way we should approach it? What if the very core of praying was a desperation for God to show up in every moment of every day of our Christian life? How would we be different? You know, I was reading about a, a pastor in Seoul, South Korea. His name's David Cho. David Cho, uh, he has a, a fairly large church, uh, 850,000 members. Yeah. And, and they have a, a pretty cool deal. Every morning at 5 o'clock, every morning at 5 o'clock, they get up and they pray as a leadership group. They pray for anybody who wants to come of their 850,000 members who want to come. They come and they pray for an hour or two every morning at 5 o'clock. And on Friday night, before the weekend services begin, they pray all night long to pray for the weekend services. And I think to myself, if we had a 5 o'clock prayer meeting every day, I might not show up. Because that is early. But as I read the article and I continued to check it out, I was like, man, that, that's really impressive of what they do. And part of what they do is they actually plan it. They go to bed early. They skip out on things that happen in the evening just so they can make sure they get up and they root themselves in prayer and desperately call out for God to point them in the direction they're supposed to be going. How crazy would that be if we did that? How desperate for God must you be to do it like that? To put him first, to put everything else aside and say, no, no, I have to get up. I have to be in communion with God. I have to do this. Rather than just be something as you're running and something as you're passing everything else by, that you're actually deep into it. And as we look at this prayer today, I want you to see the desperation. I want you to see the desire. I want you to see the boldness, and I want you to see the confidence throughout it. So if you have your Bibles with you, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. I apologize, I didn't get uh, the U version up, but if you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be up here on this screen. Starting in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. It's midnight. The door's now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. 
I tell you, though, he will not get up and give you anything because he is a friend. Yet, because of your impudence, he will rise up and give you whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As we see this, I want you to see the desperation in prayer and revisit that question. Why do we pray? Why do you pray? Why do I pray? What part does prayer play in our lives? Because as we see this, I want to look even at a bigger question as we look through the ministry of Jesus and we look through the ministry of the early church, what prayer played effect in, how it tied itself together in all this. As a matter of fact, as we go through, I want to look at some reasons on why we pray. And the first reason is this. We pray to express the depth of our need for God. We pray to express the depth of our need for God. See, Luke, throughout the gospel of his, records nine different times that Jesus prays. All the other gospels only record two. Why is Luke so focused on this prayer thing? Why is he doing this? As a matter of fact, Luke opens up his gospel with a picture of prayer. And then Jesus' ministry starts in in chapter 3. And as we see it start in chapter 3, look what he says. I'm going to jump kind of through Luke here and look at some different verses. They'll be up here on the screen as you follow along. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. This is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. He gets baptized. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. It was like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. It starts off with prayer. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, just after the baptism, before his ministry. Guess what? It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, And was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days he had been tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those 40 days. You know what he's doing during those 40 days while he's eating nothing? He's praying. He's fasting and he is praying. And when they ended, he was hungry. Well, obviously he was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. But in the process of it, he's sitting there and he's praying. And he's in communion with his father. Verse uh, 15 and 16 of chapter 5. It says this. Ministry started to get good. People are starting to surround him. Look how he responds. But now even more the report about him went abroad. And great ca- crowds gathered to hear him and, he, and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and what? Pray. He's taking time to pray. Now, as we continue on in this, I want you to think about this. Jesus is God. Who is he praying to? Who is he? Who is, he is he talking to himself? Just, just kind of process that, because we're going to talk about that just even a little bit more. But obviously, he wanted to have that connection there. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, the calling of the apostles. It says this, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from the t- them twelve, whom he named the apostles. So it wasn't like he just went to the apostles and said, yep, you look good. I like you. You probably need to take a bath. You, you know, that that wasn't the way he did. He went and he prayed. 
He prayed for God to give him direction. Luke chapter 9, verse 18 says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we actually talked about this when Peter said, well, you are the Christ. And he said, on you, on that statement that you just made, I'm going to build my church. So this was a big moment for the disciples, a big moment for Peter. And what was Jesus doing to start it all off? He was praying. Verse 28 of that same chapter, now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. Luke 18, 1, a parable on this. He said to them, a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Then we'll skip down to 39, 40 and 46. It says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I just, just for two seconds, imagine Jesus, the son of God, looking you in the eye and saying, I have prayed for you and your faith. Wow, Jesus interceding on our behalf. Well, guess what? That's what he's doing right now at the right hand of the throne of God. Amazing to think about that. But it goes on, and he says down in verse 39, this is as he's in the, in the garden and as the soldiers are about to come, and as he's praying and preparing himself for what's to come and on that cross. And he says, and he came out and he went as his, was his custom to the Mount of Olives, verse 39. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to that place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. In verse 46, he scoops down some things have happened. He said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And the close of the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 23, it says this in verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. You know what's crazy to me? We read from the beginning, Luke chapter 3, that he was praying as he got baptized. To the very last breath he took on earth, he said a prayer. Why in the world was prayer so important to Jesus? And maybe, maybe as we look at it, he was doing more than just talking to himself. He was doing more than just even talking to his father. There was something bigger and deeper that was taking place. Why was prayer so important to Jesus? I think we need to venture out of Luke to kind of see this. So if you go over to John chapter 5 in your Bibles, it says this in John chapter 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for what? The Father does, the Son does likewise. Why do you think he was praying? Verse 14, or sorry, verse 10 of chapter 14 of John says, Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. We may ask the question, why was Jesus always praying? But I think what we need to do is we need to ask a different question. And that different question falls more in the lines of this. What did he do on his own in the Gospels? And the answer to that is nothing. He did nothing. He didn't do anything. Even when he was praying, he wasn't on his own. He was in communion, in connection with God. 
I would like to ask this question. In our Christian life, in my Christian life, how does mine reflect what Jesus did? How many things in my life do I do on my own versus in connection with God? How often in my life is prayer really that desperation toss at the end because all the rest of my life has fallen into place the way I wanted it to do? I think that's the reason why the disciples came to him to ask him. And to ask him to pray, to, to teach them to pray. Because they knew how to pray. They knew the religious way to do it. But yet, they wanted to know how he did it. Because what he was doing was different. It was a different way of approaching it all. And he taught them. He taught them about the dependence on the Father. Because they saw it. They saw it in every situation. They saw that, that his dependence on the Father fed him. That, that his dependence on the Father nourished, nourished him. The dependence on the Father led him in the direction that he needed to go. And they saw that. And they said, we want to do that same thing because we throw up these empty prayers that we've been taught since we were kids. And guess what? It pays off. That teaching pays off because if you go to the book of Acts, which is the recordings of the early church, you'll see how prayer paid off and how it changed people's lives. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Before the Holy Spirit ever comes on them and they're able to go out and they're able to preach and they're able to lead 3,000, all kinds of people to the Lord and stuff, before it ever happens, Acts 1, 14, it says this. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were just praying. They didn't even really know what for. They didn't, they didn't know what they were doing. It's kind of like what I've been for the last two months. Well, what are we supposed to do for 2015? God, well, just pray. Just, just throw it out there. We'll see what happens. And that's what they were doing. And guess what? The result of it, we start to see throughout the book of Acts. Acts 4.24, after they're being persecuted by the Sanhedrin, says this, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They're praising him. And in verse 31 is the result. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They went forward because they prayed. They prayed for that. That boldness. The same boldness that was in in Luke chapter 11 we're seeing now in Acts chapter 4. And it goes on. Acts chapter 9, for time's sake, I'm just going to kind of roll through these. Acts chapter 9, verse 40. Peter prays for a woman who had died. Guess what? She sits up. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Peter goes to prison facing a possible de- death sentence. The house gathers around to pray for him. They're gathered around praying for him. He's released miraculously. He goes to the house. He knocks on the door. A little girl goes to answer the door, forgets to open it, says, Peter's here. And they're like, nah, it's just his ghost. Our prayers didn't really get answered. That's how amazing this was. They didn't believe it was actually going to happen, but prayer is what did it. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. The church is looking to change the world. Sound familiar? And what do they do? They pray for two guys that are sent out. A guy by the name of Paul and a guy by the name of Barnabas. Ever heard of that guy named Paul before? If you haven't, maybe you've read the New Testament a little bit. Most of what you've read in there, he wrote. And as he went out and as he went to change the world through the power of God, because people were praying for him. Same with Barnabas. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, the church is choosing elders. Guess what they did to start off that choosing process? They fasted and they prayed. 
Acts 16, 25, more prison time. This time is for Paul and Silas. Guess what they're doing in the middle of that? At midnight, they're singing, they're praying. They are lifting up hymns and praising God. And all the prisoners around are hearing it, and they're like, yeah, you know, this is all right. And all of a sudden, and chains fell off, and everybody's like, how'd that happen? It's all about the glory of God. It's all about that right there. And as a matter of fact, to end Acts chapter 28, verses 7 through 9, Paul's been shipwrecked on an island called Malta. And the island people come out, and they see him, and they saw the shipwreck. They knew that, you know, he basically just escaped death. And he goes, and he grabs a bunch of bundles of sticks, and he piles up all these sticks, and he starts to fire. Well, the fire draws the serpent out of the wherever, and it latches itself onto his hand. And all the people in the village, they say, well, karma's, well, karma's not nice. And um, they, they say that, and this, this serpent is latched onto his hand, and they just are waiting for his hand to swell up. They're waiting for him to die, and guess what? Serpent falls off, and he's fine. They go, wow, how'd that happen? Because that happened, obviously you got something going on for you right now. Why don't you come meet the leader? Look what it says in verse 7 of Acts chapter 28. Now in the neighborhood of that place where the lands belonged to the chief man of the island named Publis, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of him is laid sick in the fever of dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and put his hands on him and healed him. And when that has taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had the disease had also came and were cured. Paul realized he couldn't do anything without him. The people in Acts realized they couldn't do anything without him. And when that happens, other lives are affected by it. When their root conviction is prayer, when their root of why they exist is communion with God, it changes everything. That first church, Jesus himself, prayer was fundamental. It was their life. It was everything. Would you say that's for us? Or would you say that prayer is supplemental? It supplements the things that we can't do on our own. Because I think that's what's happened in today's contemporary church. It's become not fundamental, fully relying on God, but instead supplemental, our Hail Mary when we need to throw it up. When we realize that we can do nothing without him, we become like the disciples and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And you may say, you know what? I don't need to learn how to pray. Prayer is just talking to God. And while it is just talking to God, it's so much more than that. I want you to think about this for a second. If you can do nothing in your life, in your Christian life, without God, because obviously that's what Jesus did, so we fall in that same pattern. If we can do nothing at all, that would mean we cannot pray without him either. And we need him to teach us. We need him to lead us. And there's a second reason beyond just understanding the desperate need that we have for God is why we pray. The second is this, is to have intimacy with God. To have an intimacy with God. We heard Jesus say over the last few weeks of study, to seek first the kingdom of God. To put him first. To seek him first. If our desire of our heart is to seek him out, that is really the secret of prayer. That changes everything. You have to think. That when Jesus is sitting there, the door opens because these guys want to know how to pray. And he lays it out there, and, and, and we're watching him do these things. We're watching him say these things, and we're watching him react with people that are, that are rude and mean in the, in the way of the Pharisees. And we're watching him deal with sick people, and we're watching him do all these things. How does he do it? 
How does he accomplish that without just snapping? How does he, it's because he's in communion with God. He showed a dependence on God, and now he's showing us the intimacy that he has with him. See, I, I mentioned last week, and if you were with us, uh, I'm not going to retell the complete story, but we have a tendency to come to God to ask for what we want. And it starts at a young age. I, I was telling you guys last week, our, our, uh, our two-year-old, um, he, he's beginning the process of learning how to pray before eating. And he wants to pray before eating. He does his hands. He says amen. And there's one real reason for it. Because he knows food follows. He knows he's going to get something. It's kind of like the Pavlov's dogs and the ring and the bell causes. If we pray, we eat. You know, if you say, hey, we're going to pray, he's thinking eat. You know, he does a sign like eat. Let's do it. Let's, let's pray so we can eat. We, we look for something. The problem is, is as a two-year-old, it's understandable. But sometimes we never break that habit. That as long as I pray, I can get something out of the deal. As long as I pray, somebody's going to help me. And if I can pray for something I can get, or I'll ask somebody to pray for something for me, that's what it's about. Or vice versa, I'll pray for somebody else. And what do we pray? How do we normally pray? What are the things? God bless me. God protect me. God help my team win today. Those are all prayers that we throw up there. And if it's not for us, we say the same thing for somebody else. God protect them. God be with them. God help their, no, I'm not going to pray for your team to win today. But that's the, that's the reality of it all. We, we want that. We want something. But as we do, let me ask you this question. Sometimes you pray and you get what you ask for. But there's sometimes you pray that you don't get what you ask for. So it kind of leads us back to the original question that I asked. Why do we pray? Or is it how we pray that causes us sometimes get and sometimes not? Is it the fact that maybe we give a little bit more, that we put enough change in that, that prayer vending machine, that's when the thing that we want will fall out? You know, God, you don't understand. I, I have this habitual sin that I get caught up in, but I'm not going to do it today if you answer my prayer. God, I put money in the tide box at church today, so now can you answer my prayer and I know that sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth, but how many times has it been in our heads thinking that way? Thinking that as long as I do enough, as long as I do this, then I will get. But is that the true meaning for prayer? Is that the true purpose for prayer? I think asking for our needs and our wants is a part of prayer. But it's just like a slice of the pie. It's not, it's not the whole thing. As a matter of fact, we go back to Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus talks about prayer in a little bit more detail that Matthew records. Listen to some of the things it says as he gets ready to pray. It says, and when you pray in verse 5 of chapter 6, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Listen to this mind-blowing statement. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
So when we hear that last statement right there, does it make you just throw up your hands and say, well, then what's the point? If he knows what I need before I ask him, why should I bother asking? And that's what I did when I read that. What's the, what's the point in prayer? And I think once we hit that question, we start grasping the whole pie. We start seeing the whole thing rather than just that slice about needs. We grasp the whole thing. We approach prayer differently when we understand we are not desperate for something. We are desperate for someone. We are desperate for a relationship. We are desperate. What if prayer is all about enjoying God? Enjoying his mercy, enjoying his grace, enjoying his presence, enjoying his goodness. What if that's what prayer is all about? Instead of asking, it's just being communion and connection with God. Do you realize that the most important thing in our world is a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? We talked about that a few weeks ago as we talked about the Pharisees making it look good on the outside but nothing on the inside changing. But instead, this is prayer changing us from the inside and it affects everything else on the outside as it comes out of us. As we have that connection with God, as it changes us to who we're supposed to be. And sometimes we say, you know what? We can pray anytime, anywhere. And that is absolutely true. But you notice that he says something a little bit different about getting into a secret place a, a, a closed door by yourself? Let me ask you, if you've ever been in any sort of relationship and you're going all the time, how well does communication work? How many times did you say, I told you yesterday while we were running from to and fro that about this and this and this, and you're like, I don't, what? What are you talking about? I don't remember that. And then some sort of argument ensues because there's a lack of communication that took place because you were just constantly going. When's the best communication take place? When does the best connection take place? When you're sitting by yourselves, undistracted. Isn't that maybe what God wants from us? To sit alone and enjoy who he is and connect with who he is? Maybe that's it. So why do we pray? First is to understand our complete need for God. Second is to make that intimate connection with him. And third and the final one is this, to experience the amazing power of being used by God. Because maybe you've asked this question. I know I have. If God, he knows everything, and he's in control of everything, and he's sovereign, then why do I need to pray and ask? I mean, he's got this plan laid out. Why do I need to pray and ask for anything? Why do I need to pray for a specific person who might be sick? Why do I need? He's got this plan all taken care of. Why do I need to be a part of that? And I think it's very, very obvious here that as we hear the roar of the thunder car go by there, it's, a, it's, it's about being used. Because maybe, just maybe, God wants to use you and me in his grand plan. Maybe he wants us to experience his power and give him the glory. Maybe that's what it's about. I mean, when you look over Luke 11, 
that verses 1 through 13, the whole thing is really about the Father providing. And us getting to be a part of it. And us getting to give him the glory. You realize that when Jesus did these different miracles throughout these Gospels, how many times he prayed before them? Just give you two examples. When Lazarus came out of, out of the tomb, do you realize that Jesus prayed before he called Lazarus out? What, why did he need to pray? Do you realize when he fed the 5,000 that he lifted up the baskets and he prayed for God to bless them in order to be able to feed all of those people? Why did he need to pray? You know why he prayed? To show his connection with God and to give God the glory that he could be used in God's plan to glorify himself. To show dependence, to show connection, and to be used. You know, it's interesting. I hear a lot of people, as I wrap up here, I hear a lot of people talk about the power of prayer. And I, I, I'm going to say something that may or may not uh, bother you, and then I'll explain it so hopefully it bothers you less. But I don't, I don't believe so much in the power of prayer. Because I don't believe that prayer is the end goal. I don't believe our job and our life or the message today is about saying you need to go home and become a bigger man or a bigger woman in prayer. That you need to find your closet and you need to be known as a person of prayer. Now that would be awesome, but that's not the end goal. That's not the end goal. Because if we said prayer is the end goal, we just lump ourselves in with every other religion in the world. Because every religion prays. Whether they get on their face five times a day and face towards the east, or they get up and they pray to an empty God, or even as Christians, get up and pray to a God they do not know. Prayer is not the end goal. You know what the end goal is? It's being connected with the power that is behind the prayer. It's being connected with a living God that is amazing. A God that we get to help and give him the glory. It's about dependence on him. It's about connecting with him. It's about glorifying him. Can you imagine a church? Can you imagine our church getting ourselves and getting our gods? And I use that gods as in little g's. Our abilities, our money, our everything, saying, well, I did this up to this point, and now we finally need God to be a part of it. Can you imagine if we threw all that stuff aside and said, God, we are desperate for you. God, we need you. And we want to help you and give you all the glory. We want to be a part of your big plan. I think we need to pray that we need him in that way today and every day. And as we wrap up, we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to move into a time of prayer. And if you want to be a part of the time of prayer, I, I invite you to stay with us. And I also understand that, that you have planned out a time of the day, and this is it, and we we're going to go over a little bit in this time of prayer. And if you have to go, I completely understand that. So I'm not going to glare at you. I'm not going to point at you and say, oh, there goes another one who's not praying. I'm not going to do that, I promise, okay? I'm not going to call you out. I understand. But we're going to go to a time of prayer as a church as individuals, and connect with God. Because we're going to sing this last song here, and it actually is called, Lord, I Need You. Lord, I Need You.
Listen to the words that we'll be singing. Lord, I come, I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you. I want to let you know something. Through it all, through all the time of prayer and asking the questions about prayer and so on and so forth, I figured out what our theme for 2015 needs to be. And I shouldn't say I figured it out. Just God was like, it's been there the whole time. You just had to open your eyes. We need to connect. We need to connect with God. We need to be a praying church. We need to understand that our connection and communion with God will affect the connection that we have with people in this church and the connection we have to the community on the outside and the connection we have with one another as we disciple. We need to connect. And that's what I'm calling us to do in 2015, to connect first and foremost, to have that communion with God. And that's what we're really going to pray through are these four things. Because as a matter of fact, yesterday I got an email. And this connection thing had come up uh, a, a little while ago. Um, but I got this email. And I want to share it with you just for a second here if you don't mind. Um, the email came from, from Tom Rainier. And Tom Rainier is the, the president of Lifeway. And um, he put eight things I'm praying for that will happen in churches in 2015. And once again, this was completely separate from what I did. But listen to how amazingly, coincidentally, They connect. These are the eight things he's praying for. For a greater emphasis on prayer. For standing firm in biblical truth. For greater unity in our churches. For greater intentionality in evangelism. For greater emphasis on groups. For meaningful, or sorry, for membership to be more meaningful. For clear plans for discipleship. And for ministry involvement and impact in our community. I'm like, hey, that's kind of like our four things just expanded and sounds way better than I did it. You know, that, that's, that's what it is. We need to connect. First and foremost with God, we need to connect in that desperation. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask Jerome to come. And after, after the song, we're just going to move into a time of prayer. And like I said, if you have to go, please don't, don't, feel, don't feel like you have to stay. But I would love for you to stay. I would love for you to pray with us as we put ourselves aside and begin that connection process that we pray for 2015, not just for a church, but us as individuals, that our lives, our prayer lives, our Christian lives become more desperate on God.